Hello, everyone. This is G.A. Lingaro, author of Isadora and the Immortal Chains, and you're listening to the HP Lovecast podcast. Hello, and welcome to HP Lovecast Presents Transmissions, where we collect brief interviews by creators of new or upcoming projects. We'll open with a guest reading, an excerpt from their project, and then follow up with the interview proper. Transmissions posts on the last day of each month. I'm Nicholas Dyack. I'm a pop culture scholar of Peplum Films, Industrial Music, Horror Studies, and the editor of The New Peplum from McFarland. I am Michelle Brittany, editor of James Bond in Popular Culture and the Bram Stoker-nominated Horror in Space. I write on all things pop culture with special emphasis on the horror and spy genres. Nicholas and I co-edited Horror Literature from Gothic to Postmodern, also from McFarland. In this episode of Transmissions, our guests include S.T. Licata, author of the novel Imagining Rachel, and J.H. Moncrief, author of Shadow of the Sasquatch. Our first Transmissions interview is with S.T. Licata. He is the author of the dystopian Wayland Kurtshaw series and has had his writing published in Guilty Pleasures and Other Dark Delights. We talked with S.T. about his transition from horror erotica drabbles to his first romance novel, Imagining Rachel. His reading is from the opening pages of this novel. I fell in love with him as soon as I saw his face. I heard him speak about his passions for helping others and it nearly overwhelmed my senses. Then, when I couldn't believe anymore that this perfect specimen was the right person, I read his bio. That's right, I fell in love with the man of my dreams when I watched part of the introductory video to the university I started working at shortly before the fall semester. Yes, it sounds as absurd as you think. I hear myself when I think these thoughts, but believe me, this guy is the most perfect thing I've ever set my eyes and ears on. Okay, was I overworked, overtired, and extremely sensitive to my libido after an extended stretch from the last time I had a significant other I'd remotely call a boyfriend? Unfortunately, the answer is yes to all three of those questions. I'm not saying it wasn't irrational to have such strong feelings for someone I'd never met. I'm not saying I shouldn't have found a different hobby to distract me from my tingling skin whenever I looked at him. But this professor had me catching my breath every time I had a moment to think about his perfect jawline and sandy brown hair with what I could see as being perfectly hazel-colored eyes. What do I know? I'm a college graduate. My oh-so-important bachelor's degree in communication led me to several fascinating jobs, barista, bartender, book sales. Perhaps my personal favorite was the decision to become a paralegal. What did all of these jobs have in common? I didn't have any idea of what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. All right, we are joined by ST Lakata today for HP Lovecast Transmissions. Travis, how are you? I'm great, Nick. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. <laughs> We're doing pretty good here. So, uh, Travis, we got to share a TOC together two years ago. Uh, you had four Drabbles published in the anthology Guilty Pleasures and Other Dark Delights. So tell us, uh, tell us about that. What was your, was this your first time writing in the horror genre? What was it like? Uh, so this was 
essentially my first published bit in horror. I had uh, written a couple short stories, some poems in some vein of horror or um, some type of dark thriller. Uh, but this was definitely my first published works. And um, I, th I think it really gave me an opportunity to uh, dive into horror because there are some elements to horror that I find really fascinating. Um, and yeah, so that was a really fun experience. To, uh, you know, and the fact that we were on that TOC together, uh, it made it fun. It was great. So you mentioned, Travis, that there were some uh, elements of horror that piqued your interest. Could you share a couple of those? Yeah, I think uh, horror always has that element of the unknown, um, which I always find fascinating with dystopian, which, was, which is what I generally gravitate towards. But with horror, um, I feel like one of the things that a horror story can really do well is you can connect with characters because you're always aware that these characters could disappear in the blink of an eye, um, which makes it can make it really sad. But um, I think that knowing that going in, you just kind of like cling to these characters and the, the ability to try to figure out what's going on, who's the bad guy, what kind of horrible creatures are lurking in the dark. I And I love kind of the... Uh, unknown monster where you necessarily can't see it at first or you don't know what it is um i i think that always draws me into a story so what sort of challenges did you uh encounter while writing your horror travels uh well this was definitely the first time i wrote anything remotely erotica so uh that was definitely a new experience uh and I, I think the the idea of writing was, can I do that? Is that okay? Because uh, I'm kind of a just so socially awkward dork, and sometimes <laughs> it sometimes just takes me a while to get comfortable around people. So the idea of writing something so intimate uh, was, I think, a big challenge to just put myself out there and say, okay, I'm going to own this. I'm going to write this, and hopefully it works out. Um, so I was really excited to have several entries included in, in the anthology. Um, and I, th I think that was probably my biggest challenge. Uh, I mean, other than starting the story, because I always find in any story, the beginning is always the hardest. Those first few sentences, how are you going to start? Uh, but, but with the Drabbles, you only had, uh, was it 200 words? So I that even me even can find it even more. Yeah, for this anthology, they were doing 100 words and 200 words. So, you know, very limited. <laughs> yeah, so trying to finite that opening sequence that I can sometimes struggle with was also a challenge. Well, and, and Travis, you know, you've, you've written about dystopia, you've written about horror and the erotica. So I guess it really isn't a stretch that uh, more recently, you've actually written a novella called Imagining Rachel, and that was uh, your reading. Um, so can you give us a pitch of your project and what the catalyst was for Imagining Rachel? Yeah, uh, Imagining Rachel just follows the title character, Rachel, and 
essentially how she navigates a new job and steamy fantasies about a certain dreamy professor. And um, <laughs> Rachel's kind of a quirky character who just finds herself unable to control her imagination. So she finds herself zoned out in the middle of the office. And the next thing she knows, her boss is asking if she's okay. She's staring off into nothingness. So uh, it's a little romance and a little comedy. Uh, it's also some pretty awesome bonds of friendships that I think everyone can relate to and hope that we find in our lives. So how would you say that your new novella compares to your uh, dystopic series, the Violin Kershaw series? Yeah, that series, that was my kind of my opening act. That was my permission to say, I'm going to be a writer. Um, so it, I'd only at that point written, you know, short stories, poetry, song lyrics, you know, nothing published. Um, and so I had to build a new world for a series. And um, so I think I had a lot of nervousness in publishing that first book because uh, I was just putting myself out there as a writer. And, you know, I, I, I think like many people have some insecurities and whether it's okay to say, hey, I want to do this. Um, but I wanted to do that. I wanted to be a writer. Uh, so it was exciting yet nerve wracking at the same time. Uh, with the romance, I think I felt more comfortable writing this book just because I think experience in writing a couple more genres. Um, so I think it helped me be a little more confident in putting a pen to paper. Um, and I think also the doing the, the anthology, the horror erotica helped too, because I'd already gone I already dabbled in the, you know, the genre a little bit. So uh, imagining Rachel just, it definitely doesn't have any spooky elements to it, but, you know, connecting the dots and bringing in some of the things that I'd already done made it a little easier for me to say, sure, I can do that. Like when Megan asked me, why don't you, my wife is Megan. She asked me, why don't you write a romance? And I was like, sure, I can do that. I'd already done the horror erotica. Sure. Let's write a romance novel. Um, so there wasn't any hesitancy in writing that. And I think that helped me be just more confident in writing the characters in the story. And what would you say um, are you most proud of with imagining Rachel? Uh, I, I think I, I really like the characters I've created. Um, I mean, this is my first romance book, but my wife and I, you know, we connect on rom-coms on movies and so when she asked me, because that was the catalyst for me writing the whole book, was she said, why don't you write one? I was like, sure. And so I really wanted to create some characters that people could connect to. Um, and I think that's kind of where Rachel's quirkiness kind of comes along because she kind of blurts out awkward phrases, something she started as a teenager just to be like the angsty teenager who's stuck in church and doesn't want to be there. So she blurts out something ridiculous, but then it's stuck. So as she's older, she starts blurting them out when she gets nervous. So um, maybe that's just me, but I feel like maybe other people are like that too, where they just, when they get nervous, they just start rambling. Maybe like I'm doing right now. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I think that the story was really fun to write. Um, and I hope that uh, people enjoy like some of the comedic elements I was able to bring to it and some of the connections that Rachel forms, whether in her imagination or not. Mm -hmm. 
so you and your wife bond over romantic comedies yes that's kind of one of our we are kind we're not complete polar opposites um but i'm a huge geek i love star trek the next generation i would never force her to watch that (laughs) um so you know we've we've bonded over shows like uh murder mystery like the series bones uh we used to watch criminal minds together big bang theory but movie wise you know Princess Bride, The Proposal, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, so I, I think when I was writing the story, I was thinking, okay, like trying to bring in some of those funny elements or uh, some of the struggles a character might have in a particular story. I, you know, I kind of think of those fun movies that we would go to the theater with or ones that we watch when we don't want to try to find something new. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a romantic comedy guy. But but Michelle and I we do bond over watching The Duff. <laughs> What's what is The Duff? What you haven't seen The Duff? Okay, that's your that's, homework yeah. after this. Podcast. <laughs> yep. I'm open to watching <laughs> anything. I'm game. It, it's you know one of those. Uh, it's, it's about the girlfriend who is not as pretty as everyone else. You know, it, it, high school. The, the premise is yeah. It, the premise is that you know there's always that friend that is you know, not as pretty is more plain and is the one that sets us off the other friends that are, you know, more popular and, and prettier and stuff. And so she, I, I don't even remember what the Duff stands for. There's designated that. ugly fat friend or something that's like that. It, yeah. It's so me, but no, the, the movie's so great dude. So after this interview, that's your homework, grab your lady, watch the Duff. Yeah. It's cute. One, one of those, you know, uh, ugly duckling becomes a swan type films, but it's it's good. Totally, kind of like that uh, late nineties. Uh, She's all that. I think it had Freddie Prince Jr. and probably Rachel Lee Cook and it it might be. I, yeah. I actually haven't seen that one, but um, we saw this one and I think what probably five six years ago, right when it came out. Yeah, very cute. Right. So enough. I'm up for it. <laughs> so finally. What do you want your readers to take away from Imagining Rachel or from your um, writing as a total? I mean, I really hope people just can read the book and connect with the characters in a way that lets them disconnect from the world, you know, find some commonality to where it's like, oh, I felt that way or I've, you know, had feelings for someone who you've never met or, and I don't know, something to cling on to. Um, I, I feel like I've had moments like that, plenty of moments like that in my life. And uh, so I think, I hope people enjoy it, obviously. Um, I think she's kind of a typical person who has had a run of different jobs and after college and she finds herself asking, where is she in her life after eight years after college? And I think a lot of people can relate to that. No, or at least I hope they do. Um, and so I, you know, I hope it's fun for them. And uh, if they like a little saucy and, uh, you know, l- little funny moments here and there, or maybe they'll just think it's completely embarrassing and love it. Uh, and that's what I'm hoping for. Well, Travis, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, and wishing you much success with Imagining Rachel. And again, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Michelle and Nick. Appreciate it.
And welcome back. Our second Transmissions guest is J.H. Moncrief. J.H. writes in the horror, suspense, and mystery genres, and she was the winner of the 2018 Kindle Book Review Award in the horror suspense category. Monsters in Our Wake was on the Amazon Horror Bestsellers list, and her novella, The Bear Who Wouldn't Leave, was on Sam Haynes' horror bestseller list for over a year. J.H. chatted with us about her recent novel, Shadow of the Sasquatch, and read a tense scene from the book for us. Thump. A loud noise came from the front of the house near the kitchen. Brooke froze, stiffening in her arms. What was that? Probably nothing. Could be the house settling or a branch hitting the window. Pretty windy out there tonight. Thump. 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 If it's nothing, why do you have the gun? Because my daddy didn't raise no fools. Flicking off the safety, Riley tucked the gun against her shoulder. Feeling silly, she crept toward the kitchen. Stay here. The hell with that. I'm coming with you. Brooke hooked her finger into Riley's belt loop and crept along with her. Though she wanted to protect her daughter from whatever was making the thumping noise, it was comforting for Riley to have her close. Reconciling herself to the fact that she was never going to be named Mother of the Year after this, she let Brooke accompany her. They moved at an inebriated snail's pace, jumping whenever that ominous pounding started again. Riley flicked off the lights as she went, lessening the creature's advantage, but the darkness didn't make the situation any more reassuring. Mom, do you, do you think it can get in? Brooke asked, her breath hot on Riley's neck. Don't worry about that. This house is solid as a rock. She hoped her daughter wouldn't notice that she'd answered without answering. Brooke had given voice to her own fears. What if that thing managed to make it inside? Would it attack them? Kill them? What did it want? Brooke's fingers tightened on her belt loop as they entered the kitchen. A large bay window overlooked the sink and Riley cursed herself for not closing the curtains. Even in the dark, whatever lurked outside would have full view of the room. She crouched, beginning to duck walk, and could tell by the adjusting pressure on her jeans that her daughter had done the same. Do you see anything? She whispered, relying on her daughter's superior eyesight. Couldn't beat young eyes. No? Do you? She didn't sound as scared now, perhaps because the thumping noise appeared to have stopped. Maybe it had been the wind. Riley began to feel ridiculous. What was she doing, practically crawling on her own kitchen floor with a shotgun and dragging her daughter along for the ride as if they were playing soldier? Jason was right. If there was something out there, it was an animal, a bear, or maybe a puma. The big cats were rare in Oregon, but there had been sightings. It was possible, certainly more possible than what she'd been thinking. I'm sorry, honey. This is silly. I'm afraid your mom overreacted. She began to straighten when Brooke's grip on her jeans tightened again, tugging downward. Her daughter made the strangest sound, like a scream, but quiet, a frantic cry under her breath. The, the window, she gasped. Look. Hello, everyone. Today on HP Lovecast, we are joined by J.H. Moncrief. J.H., it's wonderful to see you. We hope we're doing well. Uh, yes, thank you. Great to see you guys, too. So Shadow of the Sasquatch is one of your uh, newest books to come out. So tell us all about it. What is its synopsis? 
Ah, good question. So those who have read Return to Dyatlov Pass will be happy to know that Nat McPherson makes a return and you get to find out what happened to her at the end of that book, but it is not a true sequel. It's a standalone. So in this book, uh, a family that's being tormented by some sort of creature engages Nat's services to help them out. That's, that's the gist. <laughs> and um, JH, what was the catalyst for this book? I just had so many people, uh, I tend to do this thing with open-ended endings. I really love them personally. I love that moment in Silence of the Lambs where Hannibal Lecter hangs up the phone and walks into the crowd whistling and you know he's out there somewhere but you don't know what's gonna happen. I love endings like that. So I quite often write endings like that. And with Return to Diatla Pass, there were just so many people that really wanted to know what happened at the end, what happened to Nat, did she survive, did she not survive? So that was a catalyst. And then there's the show I love called Paranormal Witness. It's a reality show about uh, people that have experienced extraordinary things. And they had an episode where there was this farmhouse, this isolated farmhouse in the woods. And this woman was at home alone with her child and something kept looking in the window at them at night. Uh, when her husband was out of town and I just she was just so terrified and it just was such a freaky situation that I just kind of that percolated in my brain and when I thought about bringing that back I thought what if that situation was happening and that family contacted her to come in and help them so that's where it came from cool very cool indeed so with Shadow the Sasquatch what would you say is like uh, its unique element to make it kind of stand apart from other cryptid uh, novels out there? Well, like most of my creature novels, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to give away uh, what what's truly unique about it because uh, it will surprise people. Uh -huh. um, but I'll just say that in my books of the style, uh, what's evil or bad is not always what you may think it is. It's uh, evil is in the eye of the beholder. Is that enough of a teaser? Does that give you something? Oh, yeah. A, a juicy wet your whistle. Definitely, along with the reading that you just did. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What would you say is the element or elements that you're most proud of with this book? I'm very proud of finishing it. <laughs> uh, I like how it turned out. The ending was really stumping me. I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. Basically, I needed a reason that these creatures kept coming back to this one house. And why did they come back to this house only when the women were there alone, the woman and her daughter? Uh, why did they purposely stay away when the, when the man was home? So I really needed a good response for that. And I was so afraid of not getting one. Uh, but finally, I came up with of really what I think is a really original take on the Sasquatch story that explained all of those things. So that's probably what I'm most proud of. It's it's a very, people are calling it a twist. I didn't really think of it that way, but it definitely ends on an unexpected note, I would say. Oh, excellent. So while you were either researching or composing the book, what was uh, something important that you discovered? Hmm, good question. What was something important that I discovered? Uh, well, it, it's really interesting. When I started, when I knew I was going to be writing this book, I was at a writer's conference 
uh, in British Columbia. And I met this fellow by the name of John Zeta, and he was writing an academic book about Sasquatch while I was writing or going to be writing fiction. So we were both always, whenever someone would come up to me, because I'm getting a bit of a reputation. So someone would come up to me at the conference and, and tell me their dad had seen Bigfoot <laughs> or, or whatever. And John would always be, can you get me her number too? Can you get me? <laughs> um, so I guess I learned that there's people who write nonfiction academic books about Bigfoot. That was a surprise. And I've definitely learned how many regular, ordinary, smart, uh, completely sane people have had some sort of encounter with these creatures. Just out of curiosity, just a fun question. Have you ever seen the movie The Legend of Boggy Creek? No, I've heard of it though, but I haven't seen it. You Highly recommend it. Yep. Old 1970s Sasquatch in the Texarkana area but it has a, a very folkish vibe to it. Mm -hmm. Really well done movie. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'll definitely check it out. Thank you. <laughs> and um, as we come up to wrapping up our interview with you, what did you, what do you want to accomplish with Shadow of the Sasquatch? Oh, wow. These are tough. Uh, what do I want to accomplish with it? Well, um, I'm very happy it's already been very positively received. I'm always afraid of that because the publisher, Severed Press, has a very specific audience and my books are very different. They deviate from the normal dude bro narrative where, you know, big muscular guy with guns comes in and kills the evil creature and gets the woman. Uh, my books very much deviate from that. So I'm happy it's getting such a good response. I guess I just hope it continues to, to sell well and do well for Severed and, and pave the way for another book with Nat. That's what I'm hoping. Well, we hope so too. JH, that was it. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We wish you the very, very best and continued success. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And that concludes the final transmission for this episode. We'd like to say thank you to G.A. Longaro, who provided the opening bumper for this episode. G.A. is the writer-creator of Isidora and the Immortal Chains, published by Rubicon Comics. We wish him much success with his ongoing comic book series and all his various endeavors. And starting in August, we are shifting our schedule just a little bit. Our primary HP Lovecast will move to the second Sunday of each month, and our HP Lovecast Presents Fragments will move to the fourth Sunday. Our Transmissions Interviews podcast will continue to post on the last day of the month. So upcoming in August, we are excited about our programming, which will be devoted to examining all things The King in Yellow. We'll explore James Chambers' recent anthology, Under Twin Suns, Al Alternate Histories of the Yellow Sign, published by Hippocampus Press. This episode will post on Sunday, August 8th. We'll review the INJ Coburn's adapted and illustrated The King in Yellow graphic novel on Sunday, August 22nd. And for our transmission episode, 
We'll be joined by a few of the writers from Under Twin Sons. This will post on Tuesday, August 31st. If you're interested in being a guest on Transmissions, please contact us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our website is hplovecast.com, and of course, you can also email us at hplovecast.gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us by purchasing our books. We each have Amazon author pages with links to all the books that we've either edited or contributed to with individual essay chapters. If you feel like donating a dollar or two, we also have a coffee account. A link is provided in the show notes. Thank you all very much for listening.